You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. I want to read a testimony to you. We did a series on inner healing recently, and we got into uh, the territory that we wrapped up on was demons, which basically what counseling is, is you counsel through a bunch of stuff, and once you've kind of counseled through that, it's clean house of any spirits that might have moved in and what have you. Anyways, we put all of our messages up on the 12 Week podcast. Somebody listened, uh, who used to be here a long time ago, uh, after they... Uh, move. They, they were no longer able to come, but they listen on the podcast every once in a while. They listen to that one, and I thought I'd just read the testimony to you because it, it, it was a cool story. So it's a little lengthy, but I think it'd be good to read the whole thing. So, hey, Jamin, I wanted to share a quick story with you. I followed 1208 and your sermons on and off. It's been more off in recent months, but I decided to check out what you've been up to when I came across your recent sermons. Specifically, I listened to the one on inner healing and demons a few days after you released it as a podcast. Spiritual plan is something I've always been convinced exists and affects our lives, but I don't claim to understand much about it. Other than a short series you independently taught and a few experiences in the charismatic church in high school, I haven't had much exposure to people who understand much about it themselves. It is fascinating to me. And I wish to know more about it from a Christian perspective. But as you said in your sermon, a lot of what's out there comes across suspect, to say the least. Anyway, your sermon drew me in. And when you described generational curses, it was something that greatly resonated with my experience. I've struggled with a compulsion to view pornography since I was in middle school. I've done a lot of work on it and learned a lot from the process and have abstained for years now, but have continued to find it tempting and hard to escape from. I'm pretty self-aware. I know quite a bit about psychology being a licensed counselor. It goes against my moral views. I've been convicted that it inhibits my relationship with God and ability to live out God's purposes for my life. I'm a very happy husband and father, and I have even come to understand through personal revelation that it's demonic in nature. Yet, I would still have days, sometimes frequently, where I couldn't get my mind off it, even if I abstained from viewing it. Figured I just had a compulsive personality in that because this is something I started struggling with as early as age 11. Thank you, Internet. It's become a fixation that's hard to shake. I don't know many details about it, but I know my dad and brother have had a similar struggle, at least at some points. Not sure if they still do or not. I also know my maternal grandpa uh, had been promiscuous at points in his life, whether it was from one of them or some other recent ancestor, as I heard you describing this phenomenon. Something in me knew you were describing my experience. I listened to the end of your sermon and thought I would go ahead and try to break that curse right here in my office. I followed your instructions carefully. I identified the demon's name. I looked it up, and it was the same name as an Irish goddess of war frenzy and one of a trio so-called goddesses. This aspect didn't make a ton of sense to me. It may or may not have been the same demon. What did make sense is that the demon's name was Whispered, which is certainly what I would expect from a lust-causing voice that speaks when I am alone. Also, the trio of demonic sisters struck me. When I was in college during a period, I was most consumed by my compulsion. I had a dream of three various, very sensuous women who tried to seduce me, but I resisted them. Then they approached me and were revealed to be vicious demons. I haven't had many dreams like that, and that one always stuck with me. 
I broke the curse, kicked out the demon away from me and my own kids. The skeptic in me wonders if it's still more than confirmation bias, but I don't buy into that. Either way, I will tell you that the persistent sense of temptation has been nowhere to be found since that moment. There's only been a couple of weeks, and I know I need to keep my guard up and not open that door to sin again, but dang, it is easier without that heavy force working against me. If you ever wish to share this story with anyone, I'll give you my permission. I will share this with more people eventually myself, but I want to give it more time first so my freedom can be all understood to be authentic, even to those who are skeptical of the spiritual elements, all praise to God. Also to follow up, God called me to a night of worship music last weekend that an old friend was putting on. I hadn't participated in worship like that in years for various reasons, but I knew I was supposed to go, so I did. I was hoping to hear from God while I was there about something completely unrelated to what I shared with you, but God spoke to me about this instead. God told me I'm ready to move into a new chapter of ministry, though I would be surprised if it was a church ministry position, and that God is going to do something amazing, some amazing stuff through my kids and their descendants. So I should be praying for them. Of course, I can see how these things strongly relate to breaking a generational curse of sin. So that was a super confirming experience for me. All right, they sent that to me April 6th. It had already been a few weeks and that they had had that freedom. I reached out to them today and they said that they've had no changes in temptation. So that is the power yeah. of inner healing prayer. Yeah, you can applaud that. That's great. Not the only such story I've heard. People with great addictions like that have been freed from that in a moment. I used to think, like, uh, when I was younger, I'd be like, well, oh, God doesn't usually just give a gift of in- instant morality. How does that work? Like, fruit doesn't just suddenly appear. It's grown over time. But now as I've realized that things like pornography can be like a, a demonic compulsion, I've been able to see, oh, that's not like instant fruit. That's like the removal of a demon of compulsion over things like that. Uh, The last four months for me have been crazy. Uh, We've removed at least um, 10 demons, and some of you have actually helped out along the way. Um, And uh, I've come in contact with a few more cases of trying to help people through some things. And it's just great to see God doing a lot of inner healing work in our lives uh, because he knows that we need it. Uh, So, yeah, all glory to God in that one. Now, at the end of that little testimony there, he mentioned that he went to a worship service trying to hear God's voice. Which is a great segue, because we've been preaching on worship music. I uh, recently wrote a book about worship leading. I've been doing it for 15 years, at least leading it. I've been playing in worship bands a whole lot longer than that. And one of the biggest desires for me in worship music is getting to the presence of God. Because he's already inside of us and trying to get to that place to have his presence just overflow and uh, uh, just gush into the world around us. Like those are those are beautiful places for me. That that's the kind of places usually when I come in contact with demons just out of nowhere. It's usually because we've just been worshiping and they can't stand the music. Uh, But um, people get healed during those times. Several of you in this room have been healed during the times in which we're worshiping and praying in corners and things like that. Uh, Janice came to attest to that. Janice has a spiritual gift of being healed. It happens all the time. It's crazy. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, it's just been cool to uh, watch God pour out in our times of worship because he's enthroned on our praises. When we worship, he is there. Uh, And today I want to talk about emotion and worship as we continue through this series. Emotion and worship is a tricky thing. Now, I grew up 
In a little village called Three Oaks. Does anybody know what this is? My brother does. Well, no, yeah. And, and Al traveling the 94 corridor there for our churches. Grew up in a small little village, little white church uh, that really didn't have a lot of emotion. It was a very traditional place. I was told, apparently, that like decades before I got there, like they were hooting, hollering free Methodists and the windows were open and people were out in the, uh, uh, out in the like, grass area right outside the windows making fun of them. And I would not recognize that Three Oaks <laughs> if I even tried. The church that I grew up in, like, man, we were cutting edge because we had just added in, Lord, I lift your name on high, about 10 years late, things like that, you know. But we were, we were upgrading ourselves into that world. And I remember uh, every summer we would go to Somerset Beach Campground and uh, I would go to kids camp. And I remember I get there one year, my mom's like, you know, Jamin, you're old enough now to go to the youth tent. It's like, youth tent, what's that? I'm a kid, what am I supposed to do? No, you're in sixth grade now, you're supposed to go to the youth tent. All right, I guess I'll go check it out. And I get there and the weirdest thing is happening. All these people have their hands up <laughs> while they're worshiping, which was like the first time I had ever seen this in my life. <laughs> Because that's how traditional and old school my church was. And I was like, what is wrong with you people? And at the same time, like, I kind of want to do that. But I don't want everybody to look at me, which is weird because, like, everybody's doing it. If anything, you're looking at me because I'm not doing it. But I'm like, I don't want to. Should I do it? Peer pressure. What do I do? What does it do? If you raise your hands, does, like, God go in your hands or something? Like, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really understand this emotionally expressive version of of worship, And so I'd watch uh, for like a day or two. And I'm like, man, these people seem really close to God. They like really hunger for him. Like they're using their bodies and stuff. It's weird. I know David like took his clothes off and danced around in the Bible. But this is, this is stranger. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there like, I don't, I don't exactly know what I'm supposed to do, but I want to do it. And then, and then finally the pastor, uh, Rick Morgan at the time was leading worship. If you know who he is. He gets to this point, he helps out over the shelter. He gets to this point, he says, all right, now I want you all to turn around and kneel at your chairs as we sing this next song. Like, whoa, I got to use my body. I only kneel when I'm getting saved every five months when they give the invitation because that's what you do. I can't, I can't, I'm supposed to do that in the music? And I look around, I was like, well, this is my chance. This is my end. Everybody's got to do it so I can do it. So... Everybody turned and kneeled, and I did it, and I just remember, like, this is the craziest thing ever, God, I used my body. You know, like, what on earth? You know, like, the emotional toll of those moments, though, is beautiful uh, for me. Like, that, that changed it. Then I stood up, and I'm like, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. I feel the power, I think. I don't know what's going on up there, but I feel it. And I go back home to my traditional church, and... And I, I still try to use that a little bit, though. You definitely get attention drawn to you now if you do it, you know. Um, that started to change things. It's like, man, I can't wait till next year till I get to raise my hand again and worship. Because <laughs> that's the only time that I think we do that now. Uh, and so I get back to youth tent, and then we be really into it. Well, I eventually end up moving. We end up in the suburbs of Westland. Uh, which if you're cool, you just say, yeah, I live around Detroit because that's what anybody within an hour of Detroit says. We're all liars. Um, <laughs> if you say Westland, like that, that's not even remotely Detroit. It's like, yeah, but it, it is because everyone else says it. Uh, so I get to Detroit 
Westland. And uh, everybody's uh, worshiping way more extravagantly there. I mean, we get in, and there's like a full band up front. There's a saxophone player in the band. I mean, it was, it was awesome. This, this, was, this, was a, this was an awesome time of, of worship for me. Uh, and everybody's expressive. Everybody's clapping. Did you know they do that sometimes? They're clapping to the beat, which people don't do that very well anymore. I don't know what happened, but we've lost the rhythm. But uh, anyway, that's a different yeah. story. Um, uh, but we were just extravagantly worshiping. And I was so happy to be in a place where I could just kind of give myself over to that. Uh, until I remember one day a uh, pastor had met with a group of us who were leading and just kind of said, yeah, well, you know, those tinglys you feel and all that emotion that you're getting into in your worship, it's, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. It's just like emotion, you know. And that super bummed me out. <laughs> because for me, like, I was told the Holy Spirit didn't really do spiritual gifts anymore, which is a bummer. I was told the Holy Spirit, like, he mostly just got you saved and made you feel good about it. Like, that's pretty much it. The, the only other thing that I had was the... Ah, I feel him. He's in the air, you know, like <laughs> uh, raising my hands, expressively engaging God in worship. Like that's that's my moment. And, and then that suddenly was on the table. Like, no, nah, it's just science, it's just emotion. You know, like people do that to love sometimes, too. Right. You think you love someone, but really it's just a certain synapses in your mind firing. off. It's like, who cares how it works? <laughs> like, there's something something here to this. Like, this is important to me. This is this is beautiful to me. But now. Now I felt like a phony. Because every time I get up to lead worship, it's like, if I start dancing around a little bit or raising my hand, it's like, no, Jamin, you fool. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. You think that's the Holy Spirit? I don't know. You know, like, am I lying to everyone now that I'm on stage? And they're all just like, wow, he's really feeling the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just emotion and I'm a liar. You know, so suddenly I'm just stuck on all these sides of the, am I a liar? Am I not? Is this authentic? Is it not? Is emotion a way that God works? Or is emotion just this thing that I'm encountering? Is it science? Is it the spirit? Like, what is this? You know, and um, I would find some crazy moments throughout the next few years of expressive worship that just hit me like no other. Like I had this hoodie said love tree on it. And that one was uh, uh, like, it's my favorite piece of clothing ever. Actually, I just found it the other day. I put it on. It still kind of fits. Um, but uh, uh, that hoodie, I was at, uh, I was DJing in the dance barn at Cornerstone Festival in Illinois. And there was a, a Swedish DJ group because we have a very small niche group of D- Christian DJs back then <laughs> that played electronic music. You all love dance music now, but we were way ahead of your time. Um, and they were just on fire for God, leading worship from behind turntables. It was the craziest thing. I bought the hoodie. It's 90 degrees in Illinois, and I am dancing around like it's nobody's business, wearing the hoodie, uh, trying to stay alive. And like that right there, that was like a David dancing moment for me. Like I, I wouldn't have that any other way. And then whenever we would throw upcoming Christian raves, I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but we did them. Um, I would, I would do the same thing. Just run out and worship there in the midst yes. of it. Yes. And we had people like this one guy who came in. And he, he came expecting like a rave rave. And then we're like, yeah, we got to take your weed though. You know? <laughs> so he gives us his drugs. And then he leaves that night saying, man, I felt higher than ever before tonight. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I experience out there too. That's, that's the spirit. 
Let me tell you about them. But then it would just return to this off and on. Am I just emotional? Am I not? And we all got to admit, like, it's easy to get emotional in worship music, right? I mean, the lyrics are crafted perfectly to keep expanding your emotional level. By the time you get to the bridge and you hit the second octave, like, you're bound to feel a little emotional. (laughs) We're manipulating you to feel a little emotional to some extent. And that's not exactly, like, evil manipulation. I mean, that's kind of the part of good songwriting is that it's supposed to keep taking you deeper. But it is kind of an automatic bring the tinglys on as you, as you go along. And over time, I had to start learning, like, what of me is just responding to emotion and what of me isn't. But there was one thing that I had to start doing completely. I had to stop analyzing every emotion that came my way. Yes. I was stuck for years yes. where every time I wanted to raise my hands, like, is that just me? No. Yes, no. Am I dancing around because I like to beat or is spirit? Uh, 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 you know. it's for years, I struggled with that until eventually I had to just turn my mind off. Yes. And you know what? God made you an emotional being. You are not Vulcans. You're welcome, Jody. <laughs> my wife's a huge Trekkie, as evidenced by her shirt. We didn't plan this. This is great. Um, but you're not a Vulcan. You have emotions. You were born with emotions. Have you read the Psalms lately? It's like 64% of the Psalms, if I remember right, can be considered lament Psalms. You know what lament is, right? Woe is me. Woe is me. It's emotion. It's deep emotion. You read Psalm 88? It just kind of ends with, darkness is my only friend. Oh, Thanks, David. <laughs> Let's end on that note. The Psalms have the whole gamut of emotions. Some prophets have the whole gamut of emotions in a bipolar frenzy. <laughs> Jeremiah will go from, God, why did you do this to me? But curse them if they come against me. You are the greatest. You know, within like just a few verses. He's the emotional prophet, Jeremiah was. And the Psalms, which are the songs, the worship songs of the Bible... Like the main songs of the Bible that like are inspired by God himself. The lyrics that God wrote for you so that you could express your love and anger and frustration and joy to God. Are these emotional gamuts of psalms that we've been given. And so it becomes ridiculous at some point for us to be like, oh, well, I don't want to be inspired by emotion in worship. No, the Bible is emotional worship. What an important part of you. You are not just body. You are not just science. You are also supernatural. You are spirit. You are also heart. Amen. And if you only want to westernize all of that so that you become a Vulcan of just unemotional, got to process everything through, through an enlightened worldview, well, then you're going to hold your heart back from God. You're not going to be able to give him your heart, soul, mind, and strength because you're always going to be reserving your emotion. And despite all my emotional difficulty there, like God would still tell me, Jamin, you're still not emotional enough. Like I remember that one of the first prophetic words I got was this old lady in a Pentecostal church like, you need to learn to cry again. And I was like, that's weird. Why should I don't know how to cry? Like a month later, a different old lady comes up to me. You need 
to learn to cry again. It's like, no, I got a whole list of things God wants me to do. Crying is not one of them. And now I cry at everything. The last episode of Seinfeld. No, not Seinfeld. Frasier. It's not sad. I cried a lot. I cried at everything. Something's changed. I don't even know what. But I'm emotional now. And I got to tell you, having emotion is way better than suppressing it. Being able to bring your emotion to God is way better than being someone who just says, God, I'm not going to bring all this petty emotional stuff to you. I know you're you're a guy of logic. No. Have you read the Psalms? There's some extents to which David goes. We're like, bro, you're going to get canceled. Shouldn't have said that. We all know which verse I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. Maybe you don't, but you should. Maybe, maybe you don't need to should, but... Well, if you read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's got to do with babies in their heads. Anyways, uh, <laughs> moving onwards here. Um, where was I? I got distracted. Baby's hats. That's... <laughs> you know what, George? Emotions. <laughs> Emotions, yeah. Okay, so here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. And this is something that I should say as a worship leader. Um, There's a difficulty with worship leading in the church. And it's this. And Casey can probably attest to this too, as well as anyone else in here who is a musician. Um, Musicians get really excited when the people are really excited with the music. It's kind of like a natural feeding problem. <laughs> and so sometimes you'll go to churches and occasionally you just notice the worship band's gone a little too far where it doesn't make sense, but for some reason the guitarist has the rock pose going on and the jumping up and down. I get it. Like, that's weird. But let's show a little bit of grace because when the whole church is hopping, it does tend to go to the head a little bit. And that takes discipline for any musician, especially... A lot of musicians aren't worship leaders. Uh, They're musicians. They play in bands and they travel. And so it takes them some time to realize worship leading is a different animal than that. Uh, They can get caught up in the emotion while they're on the stage. And I've seen that in all different kinds of ways. One of my favorite worship leaders, last time I saw them, they were touching their long ponytail to the ground on both sides (laughs) like this. And uh, I imagine for them it was a prophetic explanation of something, but I ain't got no Bible reference for that one. You know, it's like, I'm sitting out there like, okay. <laughs> I don't really get it, but alright, I'm, I'm going to try not to judge. And that's a problem, because when we get into worship, we get very judgy. We get very judgy. I'm not always going to play the songs you like. You know what? I'm not always going to play the songs I like. <laughs> um, and it becomes easy to go to different churches and judge based on the music. But when we do that, we kind of close our hearts off from being able to, to really engage. So we need to step back and just be able to enter into the places we're at. I've been in some of the best worship moments with the crappiest bands and some of the worst worship moments with the best bands. Like there's not like a, a prime explanation as to how it works. It's just we have to yield our hearts. And when we get caught up in the judgmentalness of whatever we're seeing in the room, it tends to get in the way. And so we have to set that aside. Uh, Right after I graduated from Spring Arbor University, there was some kind of app that came out. Does anybody remember what this thing's called? You're like, what was it? Yik Yak. Yik Yak. It was basically like a channel where you could gossip about everything. 
They, they were ripping the band apart on this thing. I had just graduated and I was in that chapel band, so I just lucked out. Um, but like eventually the chaplain had to take the stage and say, we're not having worship today. Now let me give you a lecture about how you don't rip people apart like this. Like that right there seems like a crazy example, but that was just the app showing that we all have that inside of us. We all tend to get to that point if we allow it. We got to give our hearts over to God. And that requires us to try to settle down with our emotions, but also not be judgmental in our emotions. Here's another thing, though. Um, when I first started understanding the Holy Spirit, I started going to more like charismatic Holy Spirit-like events. And if you want like worship expression, <laughs> these are the places. Whether you're running around a room like crazy or um, just uh, people looking... They got the worship stank face, you know, like, oh, something's really happening. Do you have to go to the bathroom or what is it? You know, like, I don't know. Like, I started seeing a lot of that. But I became jealous because I figured behind those expressions, there was the movement of the spirit. And I wanted to feel the spirit. So I remember what I started to do was I developed a, a spiritual twitch. <laughs> you think I'm joking? No, I, I did this. Uh, where I was like, I'd do that. And I'd always stamp my neck when I did it. I was like, was that the Holy Spirit? I don't know, that guy's doing it. Oh yeah, that felt good, I guess. You know? So now I'm trying to copy the other people in the room. And I did that probably for years. <laughs> I never once felt anything spiritual about it, but I even think I convinced myself that maybe there was something to it. Maybe the Holy Spirit just wanted to snap my neck every once in a while. I don't know, you know? So I kept doing it. And I was freed from that uh, one day when... Uh, a well-known charismatic pastor, he's the one who runs IHOP, not the pancakes, the prayer ministry. Uh, he gets in front of a huge charismatic group, all of the International House of Prayer. And he says something, I don't remember the exact stat, but I was just watching it on my computer. And he says something like 75%, maybe even more, 75% of the stuff going on in this room is not real. <laughs> 75% of the stuff going on in this room is not real. Now, I was expecting everyone to like, how dare you, sir? We're a charismatic school. We, we literally are a school of worship. We are worship. This is all we do. And instead, everyone cheered. The whole school cheered. I was like, what? You all know you're lying too? <laughs> In that one moment there in front of everybody, we were all freed from our nervous Holy Spirit twitches. Wow, we've all been faking it, haven't we? And you know why we do that? It's because there's moments where the Holy Spirit comes and it's so powerful that we want to relive it every time. And there's something kind of beautiful about that, but it also messes with us. Or we go to a place and it's like, that person over there has their hands raised. They're just really pushing in. I, I kind of, I don't know. I don't want to feel left out. <laughs> and then there's times where we really psych ourselves up into thinking, oh, I feel like what if God told me to like run around the room like crazy and scream? Nah, I don't want to do that. Oh, wait, if I don't want to do that, does that mean he wants me to do that? Because he would tell me to do something I don't want to do. And then we're running around screaming. What am I supposed to do? Worship 
is confusing, it is emotional, it is a time where the Holy Spirit shows up and things go crazy, and it's just hard sometimes to figure out what's going on. So not only do we need some grace on behalf of the worship band as emotion affects them in weird ways, but we also need some grace on behalf of one another as the worship affects us in weird ways. We also got to recognize uh, that when um, the music's pumping and things are going well, like, yeah, there are going to be moments where sociologically we feel the energy in the room. And that's going to pump us up into emotion. Some people just say like, oh, well, that's not God. That's just us going crazy. No, I don't think we have to go that far. I think God can work through us sociologically. I don't think we need to put everything down. We just need to be open to the Holy Spirit however he wants to move. Because a lot of times when those kind of things are happening, where he pours out and stuff happens. So for the longest time, I finally broke that wall to become emotional in worship. And then I was immediately put behind a new wall of jam. And that's just emotion. That's not the spirit. If I could err on one of the extremes, I'd go with the emotion side. I wouldn't choose an extreme, just to be clear. I'd try to balance it out. But if I had to choose one, I would go emotional. I'd rather have that. Yes. It's way better. Yes. Um, I had an ending story. It just left me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I see it fly. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> so long, <laughs> Hang on, it was a good one. It probably wasn't. I always say that. It's like, oh, I was going to tweet someone. It's so good. No, nope, it was what I ate for breakfast. Okay. Yeah, it's gone. Um, but with worship and emotion, you, you have to create the space to let God into your life in that way. And that's okay. It is okay. It is okay. If I can give you a little encouragement here at 1208. You could be a lot more emotional. (laughs) Janice agrees. Yes. Um, You can give yourself over the spirit in that way. That's okay. When he shows up, there's no escaping emotion. And honestly, the words I'm saying right now is just me dragging it out till I remember the story I was going to say. And there it is. John Wesley. Okay. So back back in the day, we're a free Methodist church. We came out of the Methodist movement. All right. I did not know that John Wesley was accused of the same exact thing, that the Methodist movement was called an emotional, like an emotionalist or an emotionalism movement of sorts. People were skeptical of what was happening. They were hearing stories of people falling on the ground, screaming, getting slain in the spirit, prophecy, demons, all these things were happening in the free Methodist church. So before you're like, that's just a Pentecostal thing, check your own research. It's in our history too. And it's in our current life, too. Um, Or it's in our current free Methodist movement as well. Um, But John Wesley was going to accuse of this all the time. So it's it's not like a new thing. Like we've just finally become so enlightened that we're always accusing people of being emotionalists. We've been doing this for hundreds of years. And with John Wesley, eventually they got to this point of, of like, people would just show up to see the emotionalists, but then they'd be surprised to find like it was legitimate. There was one guy who was like, very scrutinizing of everything that was going on. John Wesley says he had his eyes knit or his eyebrows knit, just trying to like, oh, look at all these fakers type thing, making this up. They're all falling prey to emotionalism. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit came on him and he fell to the ground. And he rose up. He's like, John Wesley, I guess you're a prophet. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. 
So before we go and just say like, this is like a current tradition where we just look back and we're like, it was all emotional. No, we've had this fight for a long time. And it's time to stop getting stuck in that conversation. It's time to stop scrutinizing every moment. Just give your heart over to God and let him take it. That's what the Psalms do constantly. You got an emotion, there is a Psalm for it. So let's not get caught up in trying to reserve ourselves. Uh, let's, let's let God take us. So God, we come before you right now. Emotions in hand saying this is yours too. God, if you wanted robots, you would have made robots. But you didn't. You made humans that experience all kinds of feelings, both good and bad. And you gave us a savior as you put on human skin and lived among us, you exhibited all the emotions from the joy of the transfiguration to the wondering uh, if your father had forsaken you on the cross to having to forgive people for their betrayals to having to forgive us for putting you on the cross. Jesus, you, you sang those hymns. You sang those songs. You knew them well. They infused you with the themes and energy you needed and they helped you take your emotion and give it back to God appropriately. So Jesus, if you can use music in that way, we can too. So help us. Some of us feel very um, hardened. Some of us have been told that it's improper. But David knew otherwise. And David moved into your blessing by giving all of himself right out there in worship. While his wife sneered at him and missed out. So here we are. Humble us. And let us give you the fullness of ourselves as a, a human being. In Jesus' name, amen. We will wrap up this series on worship next week, talking about uh, um, getting to the inner courts where God is and uh, finding his presence there. In the meantime, have a great week. If you want to worship with us, Wednesday nights, 9 o'clock, front spare, oom. Um, uh, join us up there and we'll, we'll have a great time. Thanks.